0: Welcome to the Coaching Through Chaos podcast, helping you conquer the chaos in your life. Your host is licensed marriage and family therapist, Dr. Colleen Mullen. Dr. Colleen has been doing what she does for almost two decades. She's a private practice owner, a chaotician, a magazine columnist, a best-selling author, and her work or writing has been featured on countless websites, including Fortune, Martha Stewart Weddings, Psych Central, the New York Post, Success, and many more. Listen in as she brings you experts in the psychology of life. They may be New York Times bestseller, key players in their profession, or people who have overcome tremendous obstacles in life and are here to share their story to help you live your best life. Let's get to it. Stay tuned for our next chaos-crushing guest. Here is your host, Dr. Colleen Mullen.
1: Hi there, thanks for joining me for another episode of the Coaching Through Chaos podcast, bringing you what you need to succeed. I'm your host, Dr. Colleen Mullen. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist in sunny San Diego, California. This is episode number six, and if you've been following the show, you know I'm building this as a place to come for resources to empower you to live a successful life. I'm excited for you to hear today's guest. Do you know someone who has had a lot of hardships in life? Maybe they've overcome obstacles that others would gawk at and say, how in the world are you keeping it together? We could say that person is mentally strong, and that's great. The problem is that not everyone is naturally so strong. But wait, don't get discouraged. Mental strength can be learned and developed. This week's episode focuses on just that, mental strength. My guest is Amy Morin. She's a licensed clinical social worker, and she's written the best-selling book, 13 Things Mentally Strong People Don't Do. The book was born out of Amy's own need to remind herself how to get through some terrible losses in her life. Amy's got a compelling story of hope and resiliency. I'm going to review Amy's list for you, and then we're going to get into the interview. After the interview, I'll reflect a bit more on the concept of mental strength and Amy's tips. So here's Amy's list of 13 Things Mentally Strong People Don't Do. They don't waste time feeling sorry for themselves. They don't give away their power. They don't shy away from change. They don't waste energy on things they can't control. They don't worry about pleasing everybody. And they don't fear taking calculated risks. They don't dwell on the past. They don't make the same mistakes over and over. They don't resent other people's success. And they don't give up after the first failure. They don't fear time alone. They don't feel the world owes them anything. And they don't expect immediate results. How many of us relate to having to convince ourselves to engage in some of these ideas? I know common themes I relate to, and I've seen many people relate to over the years, are wasting time on things we can't control, people-pleasing, making the same mistakes over and over, I bet many of us can connect with that one regarding some past relationships, and expecting immediate results. Just take a look at our diet industry. You know, I like to read about people's paths to success, and the list item that stands out the most for me was that mentally strong people don't give up after the first failure. I don't think I've read a story about a highly successful person that didn't include stories of failures that they ran into on their way to success. That's one idea that I think comes in so handy when we are struggling with our own paths to success. It can get so discouraging to face a failure. But for successful people, those are often lessons. And maybe, as with Amy's thinking, they are lessons in what not to do in the future. Okay, so we're going to get right into the interview now. And after the interview, I'll reflect more on the idea of mental strength and Amy's twist on the norm. We'll be right back.
0: You're listening to Coaching Through Chaos, your host, Dr. Colleen Muller, bringing you what you need to succeed.
1: Uh, you have a compelling story of resiliency can you tell us a bit about that story of the losses that you went through and how you personally move forward from that
0: sure you know when I was 23 my life seemed like everything was going great I had landed my first big job and I bought a house I got married graduated from grad school everything was sort of like going in this wonderful direction I thought wow you know life can't get any better and the rug was pulled out from under me a few months later when my mother died suddenly from a brain aneurysm. Mm. She was only 51. She'd always been healthy, so it came as a complete shock to all of us. And so I had to figure out okay, now how do I go to work and still be an effective therapist while I'm very much grieving the loss of my mother and during that time I really had to use all the same tools that I was teaching clients in my office about how do you create good habits? How do you take care of yourself? How do you go through grief. And on the three-year anniversary of when she died, it was about the time I was starting to finally feel like, okay, I can do this. And life, you know, I was creating a new normal for myself. But Mm -hmm. then on the three-year anniversary of her death, my 26-year-old husband died suddenly from a heart attack. And so I found myself a 26-year-old widow, and I didn't have my mom. And I had to figure out, now what do I do? How do I move forward in life? And So it was about, again, doing all those really good habits, taking care of myself, whether it was exercise or eating healthy and taking time out for myself, but also making sure I had plenty of social time. But at the same time, I realized that sometimes it only takes one or two bad habits to hold us back in life. If I allowed myself to feel sorry for myself, for example, it wasn't going to do me any favors. And so it was really then that I also started to focus on getting rid of bad habits. And throughout it all, I always held out hope that someday life would get better, and it did. About four years later, I got remarried, and we decided to sell the house that I had been living in with my first husband. We moved to a new area, bought a new house, I started a new job, and just about the time I was breathing this sigh of relief, thinking, okay, I've got this fresh start. My father-in-law was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And it was then that I thought, oh, unlike when I lost my mother and my husband in these sudden and unexpected circumstances, this time I knew what was coming and I thought, oh, I don't want to go through this again. And But it wasn't like I had a choice. And so I sat down and I wrote the list of 13 things mentally strong people don't do, sort of as a reminder to myself that if I wanted to go through this with as much strength and courage as I knew I was going to need, I'd have to avoid certain bad habits in life, like feeling sorry for myself or trying to resist the change that I knew I was about to experience. And Shortly after that, my father-in-law passed away.
1: And in doing this and in creating this list, that's a lot of losses to go through in such a short time. You know, you have to kind of pull it from your own resiliency and figure out what's going to work for you did you still work with your clients during all of this period? Were you still in private practice and having to kind of put on your therapist hat during the day and then get through all those losses outside of your work hours?
0: Yeah, that's exactly what happened. I took, you know, as much time off as I could. When my mother had passed away, I was able to take just a week and a half or so off from work and then had to jump right back into it. And then, When my husband passed away, I was able to take about two or three months off from work and uh, I was sort of in a fog that whole time and then was able to get back to it. But it was very hard to go to work and try to help other people deal with their problems and then go home at night and say, okay, now how do I deal with my own problems and try to find that balance. And then when my father-in-law was sick, it was a different experience for me because he was sick for a matter of months. And I knew I couldn't just take off from work for months while we right. dealt with this illness. And so I had to go to work every day knowing that I was about to experience this. So it was sort of this anticipatory grief. But yeah, I had to figure out how do I how do I wear my therapist hat by day? And at night, how do I try to separate from that and deal with my own? Issues?
1: Yeah, so much strength in there. Obviously, you've you've pulled from. Um, and So you, you designed your list. It was 13 things that you wanted to not do in life. And as therapists, we work all the time with our clients. Don't focus on what you don't want, you know, focus on what you want. How did you decide to write the list of what not to do?
0: Yeah, you know, a lot of people have said that, like, why on earth would you write a list of what not to do? Because it's true. As a therapist, I usually focus on strengths-based. I focus on what to do in life. But You know, it occurred to me, again, that sometimes it's just a couple of bad habits. And I feel like when you have 99 good habits sometimes, but one bad habit, it's like you're a hamster in a wheel who just doesn't get anywhere. And if you want to move forward, you have to sometimes let go of those couple of things that could be holding you back. And throughout my journey, I sort of likened physical strength and mental strength because I think that if you wanted to be physically strong, you'd need to go to the gym and have good habits. But if you really wanted to see improvement, you have to stop eating junk food too. And so I said, you know, if you want to be mentally strong, yes, you have to have good habits in life, but you have to be aware of those couple of bad habits that that do weigh you down. And so when I wrote my list, I certainly never imagined that it would be turned into a book or anything like that, but it was really a letter to myself and it was what I needed in that moment. And so I wrote it out thinking, okay, if I can just avoid these things that are going to be very tempting to do while I'm going through these tough times in my life, then I'll be okay. And that was how I came up with that list. And there was no magic in the number 13. People always want to know, how'd you come up with 13? And Uh I certainly didn't, didn't purposely come up with 13, but it was really that the thoughts, the behaviors, and the emotions that I feel like are, that we're all prone to doing sometimes, and that they can be self-destructive and really sabotage our best efforts. So
1: really, that was what you came up with to get to 13. And you mentioned that this was just really a letter to yourself. How did it go from being published somewhere on the web to becoming a book? Because you've got this list. And really, your book is such a great little handbook on mental strength and how to get it. How did it go from this, you know, line by line little list to a big book?
0: Yeah, it's sort of an interesting story. I had after my husband had passed away, I had picked up writing just as a way to earn some extra income occasionally. And so over the years, I expanded my writing. So I was doing a few writing jobs here and there while I was working as a therapist. And so after I wrote this list, I thought, you know, maybe it could help somebody else. And so I published it to the web sort of on a whim, thinking, eh, maybe it'll help somebody or somebody else might find it interesting. But within a matter of hours, it was being shared and shared reprinted so much that one of the websites that had reprinted it was called Lifehack, and their website actually got shut down because they couldn't handle all the traffic that it was getting. And soon after that, I think about three days after I had published it, Forbes magazine contacted me and said, we'd like to reprint your list. And I said, OK. And within a matter of, I don't know, a few days, they had gotten millions of views there. And in the fact, it went on to become one of their most viral articles ever with over 10 million views. Wow. And and so then crazy things started happening that, you know, Rush Limbaugh had read about it on the air and Glenn Beck read it on his radio show. And <laughs> pretty soon Fox News called and all of these sorts of interesting things were all unfolding and so I got all these opportunities to do interviews, and everybody wanted to know, how did you come up with this list? But to be honest, in my personal life, we were still very much dealing with with my father-in-law's illness. And so I didn't really come out with a whole story. I just said, as a therapist, I know some of these things. And um, in fact, I was on national news four days after my father-in-law passed uh. away, and they were asking me all these questions about, how did you how did you come up with this list? And I didn't want to start crying on TV, so I didn't tell the whole story. But in the meantime, a literary agent had called me and said, you know, I was really struck by your list. I think that we should talk about the possibility of turning it into a book. And that was about maybe two or three weeks after I wrote the list, and Within a month, we had a publishing deal with HarperCollins, one of the biggest publishers in the world, who yeah. was very excited. They said, oh, you know, we think this would make a great book. And so I had explained to them, well, you know, I have this story behind it. And I wasn't sure as a therapist, I don't usually talk about my personal life. So I wasn't even sure I was wanted to tell my story. And, you know, I said, can't we just make a book about just the 13 things? And they said, it's up to you. But, you know, we think it would give, give your book some more power if people knew why you wrote it. So I agreed to tell my story. And now I'm glad that I did. But I certainly never, when I wrote that list, I would have never in a million years imagined that it would go viral or be turned into a book.
1: I can imagine. And when I picked up your book and was reading it, obviously, you must hear this all the time, just reading that first chapter about your story, I thought, Oh, my goodness, well, this woman definitely is going to know about personal strength to have overcome all of this. So it was really inspiring just in hearing your story. So I want to say thanks for putting it out there as well, as I'm sure you hear from people all the time.
0: Yeah, I'm glad that I did now because I think otherwise people would have, um, you know, they had questions like, how'd you come up with this list? Who are you to tell us about mental strength, and so I felt like it gave me some more credibility, and they said, you know, I've been there, <laughs> and I wrote this list at the, you know, the lowest point in my life, really, and, and so I I know firsthand that it, it takes a lot of energy, and it takes a lot of time and hard work to be as strong as, as you know that you can be, but, but it's worth it in the end. You're listening to Coaching Through Chaos, your host, Dr. Colleen Mullen, bringing you
1: what you need to succeed. So Amy, you mentioned before that as one of the items, people should stop feeling sorry for themselves. And I know from reading your book and watching some interviews that you've already done, that you have really strong feelings about this. People should stop feeling sorry for themselves. Can you talk about the importance of this?
0: Yeah, you know, I think it's really important to differentiate that self-pity is much different than just feeling sad or feeling bad. You know, when you go through tough times in life, by all means, that it's okay to feel sad. And in fact, you know, grief is the process by which we heal. But I think so often people turn that grief or those feelings of sadness into self-pity, which is often a way to sort of avoid going through your feelings. So instead of allowing yourself to feel sad, you can sort of turn it into a distraction by saying, you know, rather than just feeling my emotions, I'm going to focus on thinking all these things like I shouldn't have to deal with these problems or this isn't fair or nobody else has a life as bad as, as I do. And when you think those sorts of thoughts, it's going to make you feel worse in the long run, and it affects your behavior. When we are stuck in this cycle of self-pity, we tend to to become inactive rather than focusing on a solution or trying to make our lives better. We sort of get stuck in this place of thinking about why it's not fair. And we stay focused on the problem, and you can't come up with a solution. And even when you can't solve the problem, you can always take steps to make your life a little bit better today than it was yesterday. But self-pity keeps us from doing that. You know, I meet people in my therapy office sometimes who get stuck in this cycle of self-pity, and so even when there's opportunities to go out and do things, they don't want to do it because they say, you know, I shouldn't have to, or they predict it's not going to work out anyway, or I'll never get a new job, and they stay stuck, and it's really then about breaking that cycle of self-pity to say, okay, well, becoming a self-fulfilling prophecy when you predict that everything's all doom and gloom. You actually become to this point where you start to live a pitiful life, and You have to break that cycle and say, okay, my life's not that bad. And gratitude is one of the ways to do that, you know, simply by being born in the United States or living in a first world country, you're doing better than most people on earth. And sometimes just being grateful that you have clean water to drink or that you can go to the grocery store and buy food can do wonders to break you out
1: of that cycle of self-pity. Right. Recognizing what you do have going on in life. Absolutely. Absolutely. For the audience, just so I can catch them up, we're going through a couple of points from the 13 items in your list. So, And the first one is even from the first chapter it's about feeling sorry for yourself. I work with a lot of people who struggle with trying to please everybody. And in particular, then, I really enjoyed your chapter on why we should stop trying to worry about how to please everyone. Can you speak to that idea?
0: Yeah, because I think that that is a common one as well, that we come up with this notion that somehow it's up to us to make other people happy or that we're responsible for other people's feelings. People that get stuck in in this cycle of of people-pleasing, it's really hard to stay true to your own values when you're so concerned about how other people feel and you really want to make other people happy that you don't dare speak up for yourself or you don't dare say no or you tend to overestimate how much people depend on you. So you think, well, if somebody invited me to do something and I say no, they might get really mad. And rather than leaving it up to that other person and to deal with their feelings, we try to prevent them from having uncomfortable emotions and we think that we have the power to do that. But really, you know, nobody in your life that genuinely cares about you will stop being friends with you if you say no or if you tell your family how you really feel about something and they genuinely love you, that they'll be able to talk to you about that stuff rather than just, you know, turning away. And for people who aren't comfortable with having people angry at them, it is really hard to then say no or to risk speaking up because it feels like somebody's mad, then it means they won't like me anymore, but in reality, you know you you can learn how do you say no, how do you speak up? How do you realize that you're not responsible that other people can learn to regulate their emotions and they don't need you to be the one to do that, and it's hard to do, but with practice, it gets easier in my therapy office, I worked with a lot of people who are so it's so ingrained in them to be a people pleaser that they sort of lose sight of what they even want in life. And it takes a lot of practice for them to recognize their own opinion and then to be able to express their opinion. And that can be really scary to do.
1: Right. And with highlighting these items and kind of spelling them out the way that you do in your book, you really give people a place where they can start thinking about those things for themselves and understand why it's important not to say yes to everybody and speak their mind. So I think you give them a good starting ground for some self-reflection.
0: Yeah. Interestingly, I've had a lot of people who've written to me and said, you know, I didn't really think of myself as a people pleaser. But then when I read that chapter, I recognized some of the areas in my life where I tend to, to be a people pleaser. And and they said, you know, I'm starting to work on not doing that so that I can live according to my values. So it's been really interesting to me to hear from so many people who have said that exact thing.
1: That's great. I imagine it's probably fun for you to get those emails and, and really, you know, gratifying to kind of know how, how many people you've touched.
0: It is. I'm just overwhelmed and humbled by the response that I've gotten from people and the feedback. I just, it's amazing to be able to get that from my readers.
1: Another point that you mention is for people to stop dwelling on the past, and certainly I can assume why that is, uh, but in particular, you speak of how the fear of moving forward makes us want to stay in the past. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because that's something I'm sure you had to pull on in order in your own personal situation. It would probably have been very easy for you to get stuck in the fact that your mother had passed and your husband is now gone that could have been paralyzing had you been stuck there.
0: Yeah, for me personally, that was one of the scariest things was to give myself permission to, to keep moving forward because my loved ones lived in the past and somehow it felt like if I move forward and I create lots of great new memories in life that I'll forget or that I'll somehow be disloyal or that I won't be able to still honor their memory. And so it was really about figuring out how do I move forward and create wonderful new memories and and be willing to create a new life for myself, but at the same time still honor their memory without living in the past. And it was all about striking a a balance and knowing that, you know, when I threw away my husband's toothbrush, that that was okay. And that was one of the Mm. craziest but most difficult things to do, you know, to deal with physical possessions and to figure out how do you, what do you do with them and how do you move forward? And, you know, I think for some people that they get stuck in the past for different reasons. Sometimes it's because somebody else hurt them and they can't let go of that. And sometimes it's because somebody made a mistake and they can't forgive themselves for it. Or, you know, there's even people that romanticize the past and they think their best days are behind them.
1: Well, absolutely.
0: And all of those reasons, you know, that we then think about the past over and over and you replay it in your head or you you just can't stop thinking about it. It keeps you from enjoying the moment, but it also makes it hard to plan for the future and how do you make the future as good as it could be if you're always thinking about something that happened last year or 10 years ago or whatever it might be and so it's really about how figuring out how to make peace with the past so that you can move forward and it's a little bit different for everybody sort of figuring out well what's what's got me stuck in the past and what steps do I need to take to let go so that I can move forward
1: Absolutely. So, And and then speaking of moving forward, I think that we're getting to the end of our time here. Um, can you tell us um, where uh, everyone can find you? And I'm curious, are you still in private practice? Um,
0: I took a break from therapy about July of, of last year um, because my book had taken off and I was really starting to promote it and doing speaking engagements and that sort of thing. And so I've taken a break for now and I'm not sure what will happen, but... Um, at the moment, I'm not in private practice, but we'll see okay. what the future holds. People who want to know more about me, my website is Amy Morin, M O R I N L C S W, is in licensed clinical social worker.com. And I write for Forbes and Psychology Today and lots of different places, and I um, publish a lot of those articles to my blog. And my uh, website also talks about my book and some of the other things that I do as well.
1: Yeah. Great. Well, thank you so much, Amy. This has been really a fantastic interview. And I'm really looking forward to uh, uh, being able to share it with everybody. So thanks for being here.
0: Thank you so much for reaching out to me. And I appreciate it. You're listening to Coaching Through Chaos, your host, Dr. Colleen Muller, bringing you what you need to succeed.
1: Amy talks of our mental capabilities as a muscle that can be exercised and strengthened. I also subscribe to this thinking. One of my favorite things to work on with my clients is helping them build their mental strengths or resiliency traits. We are all born with part of our personality predetermined by our genetics. How the other part of our personality develops is thought to be determined by how we are nurtured. It's the old nature versus nurture argument. As we are growing up, we receive certain messages about how we should or shouldn't deal with stress, upset, disappointment, as well as love, happiness, and all the rest of our emotions. These messages are then internalized and stored as fact, even if they are not in our best interest. For instance, I learned as a child that when I am stressed out, I should eat to make myself feel better. So I ended up struggling as an adult with a weight problem. My brain stored that message as fact when it was, in fact, not true, nor in my best interest. So thanks, Mom and Dad, for that one. Amy's list takes a refreshing spin on how to overcome struggle, and in her case, multiple losses. The list resonates with many of us, I believe, because collectively, we've been taught to focus on what to do or what we should do. When we don't do what we think we should be doing, we end up feeling like a failure. Focusing on what not to do can be such a unique way of thinking. I say this because if we take, say, number 11 on Amy's list, which is mentally strong people don't fear time alone, and we twist that up into the you should do this type of thinking, it becomes mentally strong people are comfortable being alone. Somehow, not fearing something feels much more achievable than having an expectation that one should be comfortable with something right off the bat. Thinking from the I should perspective really has a tendency for setting people up for failure. I believe that if we rewrote Amy's list from the what-you-should-do perspective, it would start to sound like mentally strong people just do more than you do when you're tired of trying. So that's not very empowering. So thanks, Amy, for putting a different spin on overcoming emotional obstacles. Strengthening those emotional muscles to help you become a stronger and more resilient person does take active work. But I'll leave you with this. The work can be tough, but if your perspective is accepting and forgiving of yourself, reminding yourself of what not to do feels achievable. Amy Morin's book, 13 Things Mentally Strong People Don't Do, is currently available internationally in English, French, Dutch, Italian, Turkish, Slavic, Czech, and Korean. Holy cow, that's a lot of countries. And additional releases are planned in German, Danish, Russian, Hungarian, Spanish, Greek, Portuguese, Arabic... Hebrew, Thai, Japanese, and Chinese. It's a veritable international smorgasbord. I'm reciting all these countries not only to point out what a fantastic success this has been for Amy, but also to point out that resiliency has no borders. As human beings, we all face similar challenges in our daily lives, and Amy Morin brings us all a solution set which goes beyond cultural and ideological boundaries. I encourage you to check it out and see which items you're already strong on and which ones you'd like to include more of in your life. Obviously, with the book available in so many languages, you'll have no problem picking up a copy for yourself at most major bookstores or on Amazon.com, unless that is you speak Swahili. In that case, unfortunately, you'll have to wait. Next week is one for the couples. Have you ever wondered how you and your spouse were ever going to get along about money? My guest is Jeff Motsky. He's a certified financial planner, author, and radio host. He wrote the book, The Couple's Guide to Financial Compatibility. He's going to walk us through some money management tips for couples, as well as help us understand how to blend our spending styles when one person is a saver and the other is a spender. Come back next Tuesday to check that out. In wrapping up this episode of the Coaching Through Chaos podcast, I want to say thanks to Amy Morin for being here. I also want to remind you that in addition to the episode, be sure to check out my article on the subject, which also includes Amy's list. You can find the article on priceofbusiness.com as well as on my website, coachingthroughchaos.com. I also want to thank Dr. B for all my audio engineering and bennettsullivanmusic.com for my theme music. If you want to follow me between episodes, you can sign up for my mailing list at coachingthroughchaos.com slash podcast. You can also find me on Twitter with the handle at Dr. Colleen Mullen, and I'd love to hear from you there. And you can also find me on Facebook at Coaching Through Chaos. Until next time, I hope you're having a great week. And if you've got chaos in your life, I hope you're finding your way through it. Take care.